October 1781. Tench Tillman, George Washington's aide, rides nonstop for four days and nights to bring glorious news from Yorktown, Virginia, to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. The Americans have decimated Britain's southern army and forced the surrender of its best general, Charles Cornwallis. History is strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. The West Cocoa Pharmacy bringing you Hour 3 of a Tuesday morning, the 17th of October, 2023. Glad you're along for this edition of Bill Mick Live on 92.7 FM, 1240 and 1350 AM WMMB. Headline at BillMick.com, baseball, shopping, and college. Well, we knocked those out in the first two hours because Tuesdays at 8 o'clock, well, they belong to Dave Bowman and Dave Does History. Of course, Dave's been with us the whole uh, show this morning. Thanks again for that, Dave. Had a good time with you here for the whole show today. Thanks so much. I enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah, we well, we had some fun in our Modesto days, so we're back to having a little fun at least once a week here, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, history today, you're talking about a world that got turned upside down. You're going to take us back in the Wayback Machine to uh, 1781. Tell us what's on tap, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably my favorite week in history. In 1781, if if you're not keeping up, this was the this was the week and a very busy week in 1781. This was the the siege of Yorktown, which of course is the end of the American Revolutionary War. At least the combat aspects of it in the continental United States. By the time this thing happens, this thing is a world war. Spain and France are at war with England. They are fighting battles all the way around the world. And in fact, the entirety of the war will not end for another two years with the signing of the Treaty of Paris in 1783. But for our purposes here in America, if you've ever been to Yorktown, Virginia, you know that it's the Yorktown Victory Center. It's, it's really cool. And you can go there and see these things happening. Um. For our purposes, this was the battle that ended the American Revolutionary War. Now, for what it's worth, Washington didn't believe that in 1781. He was convinced that the British were just going to come right back again. Um, and it took some doing, another two years, before he finally accepted victory and accepted the fact that, okay, we did win. But it, and, and But at the time... It wasn't seen necessarily the way we see it today. Today we celebrate Yorktown. October 19th this week is going to be Victory Day and all those kinds of things. But back then they didn't necessarily see it that way. They just kind of saw it as a, as a pretty important victory. But did it really end the war? And we talk it up when we continue in a minute on WMMB. Dave Bowman with Dave Does History. So... The war is over, even though Washington was reluctant to admit that. Where are we going from here, Dave? Well, let's start with just kind of a broad overview of how we got to where we were on this day in 1781. The The war had been going now for six years. I, I don't think we, we don't really grasp that. Six years is a long time. It's almost twice as long as we were involved in World War II, if you can imagine that. 
The previous year had not gone particularly well. 1780 had seen some victories, but had seen the disaster at Charleston, where uh, General Lincoln essentially surrendered Charleston almost without a fight. And the British had had done some things at Charleston that were really offensive to Americans. You know, there's that old saying about bulletin board material, you know, watch what you say because you don't want to fire up the other team. Right. When we surrendered at Charleston, the British denied the Americans there all of the honors of war. War was different in 1781 than it is today. When a when a when an enemy was defeated in that era, they were often allowed to march out of uh, their defeated area with their flags flying, their band playing. They were authorized to keep their their sidearms, their rifles, and they were given safe passage and parole. This was normal. This was expected behavior in 1781. And when when Charleston surrendered under Benjamin Lincoln, uh, the general there, the British under General Clinton denied all of the honors of war to the Americans. No, you're prisoners of war. Give us your flags. You don't get them. No music, nothing. We are, you are scum of the earth. You get none of those privileges, which of course backfired in a way because now the rest of the American army is like, well, why are we being nice to the British when we defeat them when they're not nice to us when they defeat us? And so it kind of got tacked up on the bulletin board, so to speak, and sort of um, it sort of plays into things later on. Now, the British, the British are trying this southern strategy, which is they, they know that there are a lot of loyalists in the south. So they're trying to focus on defeating the Americans in the south. Well, the, the Americans and their French allies, who by this point are really working well together decide that they're going to challenge this. Washington sends Lafayette to Virginia. When they get to Virginia, they discover things as the British have romped through Virginia. They discover some things that are very, very angering. I said on my show the other day, and I don't really want to get into this today, but I said the other day that there's virtually no difference between King George III and Hamas. That they are that they are tyrants, that they are evil, that they represent the worst of humanity. And when Lafayette and his troops get to Virginia, they discovered that the British troops under Cornwallis have essentially been terrorizing Virginia. There is an account that they find a, a pregnant woman in her bed, completely stabbed to death, completely laid open with bayonets. And up above the board, uh, the headboard of the bed, they have tacked a sign that said, Thou shalt never give birth to a rebel. They find beheaded Americans where the heads have been sliced off and put up on cupboards. And the, the cups and stuff that were there have been scraped off and broken and thrown down. There's an incident with one of the colonels from the Rhode Island Regiment, which is going to come into play here, where the British have captured this guy, and then killed him. Um, just in a horror, they, they shot him in the back, which is, of course, in the 1780s is, that's cowardice, but they do it anyway. 
the British have just been absolute terrorists in Virginia. They have just absolutely inflamed things because they're trying to intimidate the residents of America into not supporting the, the, the revolution. Lafayette manages to lure Cornwallis away from the coastline. If he's on the Atlantic coast, he has his navy to cover him. But he manages to draw Cornwallis in to a little town on the James Peninsula called Yorktown, which, even in the Civil War, the American Civil War, will play almost the same role. He gets Cornwallis kind of bottled up in Yorktown. Cornwallis starts digging in, and Washington and Rochambeau, the French commander, they pounce. They surround them at Yorktown. They've got them outnumbered. There's only about 7,000 British troops there, but they, of course, are crack British troops and crack Hessian mercenaries. Mm -hmm. But when you're surrounded and when you're cut off because the French Navy has won that victory out at Chesapeake, talk about your miracles, by the way, that's a battle that never should have been won, but the British, it's one of those cases where the British more lost it than the French won it. But nevertheless, it has resulted in Cornwallis being trapped at Yorktown. And as this encirclement collapses, as it, as it contracts down, Cornwallis was going to become more and more desperate. And by the time this week rolls around in 1781, this has been going on for about a month, there are two fortresses, two forts on this line that the British have. They're called Redoubt Number 9 and Number 10. Redoubt is a French word meaning fort. And Washington realizes that if he can take those two forts, this thing's going to be over. And so he says to Lafayette, what do you think we ought to do? Lafayette says, I will lead the troops to take these forts. And Washington says, eh, no. This has to be a combined operation. There has to be American troops, and there have to be French troops. And those American troops are going to be led by none other than Alexander Hamilton. And we're going to use these Rhode Island troops who are already really mad because that will send a message to the British that you're done. That sounds powerful. So the Rhode Island troops had, had read the banner in the locker room before they went out onto the field. Not only had they done that, but they lost their colonel. And the other thing about these Rhode Island troops that you have to understand is about 50% of them are African-American. Really? Yes. How interesting is that? Actual volunteer African-American or not? Yes, volunteers. Well, they're from that Rhode is. Island, which is not a slave state. So. Exactly. Okay, interesting stuff. Dave Bowman with us for the hour as Dave does history here on Bill McLive. It is uh, what we do on a Tuesday. We're glad you're along for the ride on WMMB. Coco Pharmacy bringing you hour three of a Friday morning on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. 
Hey, yesterday we launched a discount deal at 820, and there was a technical glitch that did not let it launch as it should have. So if you go to WMMBAM.com, you will still, still see discount deals available as a blue box. Click on the discount deal. Fish lips at the port. $50 gift certificate for 25 bucks. Still had 33 of them or so available last I looked. So go take advantage of that. Grab your credit card, head to the site, and get that discount deal from Fish Lips. That, uh, they're not going to last through the day. I would promise you that. So get yourself set and ready to go. All right, Dave, Yorktown being the place where the American Revolutionary War is coming to an end, even if we don't realize it. Cornwallis is uh, basically secluded and cut off there in Yorktown. Can't even get out via the ocean because the French have beaten the British out there. So where are we going now? So on the night of the 13th, the Washington has realized if he captures these two port, these two forts, the redoubts, this is going to be great. And, and essentially the British position will become completely untenable and they will be forced to surrender. He has made a specific decision. He's made, has actually made two decisions that that really resonate with his troops, the American troops. Number one, he has temporarily at least demoted Lafayette. He didn't really demote him, but he he didn't name him as second in command at Yorktown. He's made Benjamin Lincoln, the guy who surrendered Charleston, his number two guy. And that has really resonated with the American troops who are starting to feel like General Washington is deferring too much to the French. The second thing he's done is, for this attack, he's made this a joint attack. The French, Rochambeau, really wants the French to do it. But Washington has insisted that it has to be a combined attack, an American assault on one of the forts, a French assault on the other fort. This has really resonated well with the American troops. And as the Rhode Island troops get ready to do this assault, he puts Alexander Hamilton, along with his good friend Stephen Olney, in charge of the attack. Now, Hamilton has been crying for a year that he wants a combat command, and Washington finally gives him one on this particular night. He says, okay, go be in charge of this assault, this direct assault on a fort, which, by the way, is well surrounded by, by obstacles. It's well defended by about 300 Hessians and British. It's, you know, it's not going to be an easy nut to crack. But Hamilton's like, well, yeah, let's go. They decide that this attack is going to be led by what they call sappers. We would call them combat engineers who are going to crawl up to these works about 50 feet, 50 to 75 feet from the fort with axes. They're going to cut down all the, 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 the obstacles that are there. And then the American troops and the French troops on the other one will pour through with bayonets. They have no bullets loaded in their guns. They're only going to do bayonets because they want to be silent. So this is the plan, right? (laughs) Well, the American troops get there. They get to about 50 feet away from 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 the fort. And they realize that there's a big flaw in this plan, which is that if we start chopping things with axes, that's going to hear that. It's going to make a lot of noise, and we're fifty feet away, and we don't have any bullets, and they do. This is a bad idea, and so the Americans, who a German general will later say during World War II, the Americans don't seem to have any. They don't seem to have any 
necessity to follow their own plans. You know, it's, it's the thing that drives the Germans nuts about the American troops is that we just sort of improvise on the fly. Hamilton says, let's improvise on the fly. And the American troops literally start playing leapfrog with each other to get over the obstacles before the British know they're there. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Our hour being brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. So uh, a little bit of guerrilla warfare, Dave? Inventive. That's the way I prefer to think about it. Inventive. So the Americans start leaping over each other. In fact, Alexander Hamilton will climb on the back of one of his soldiers and leap up to the edge of the fort. Uh, his, His friend Stephen Olney is actually the first one up. He is only armed with what we would call a pike. It's it's a little more than a pike. It's got some knives and stuff on the end of it. It's a pretty nasty-looking weapon. And a Swiss Army pike. Yeah, and he's swinging that around, and the, the British are completely taken by surprise. But they manage to rally, and of course, their guns are loaded, so they start shooting. Uh, only gets badly hurt. In fact, most people think he's not going to survive. Spoiler alert, he does. Uh, okay. Hamilton is up there with his sword slashing away. The Americans come in. And in literally three to five minutes, the Americans, led by Alexander Hamilton, take readout number 10. One of the things that Hamilton does, though, is he makes it very clear to these troops, there is to be no mistreatment of prisoners at all. You capture a prisoner, someone throws up their hands, you treat them with respect and with regard, not like these British terrorists. And that's what they do. As soon as they finish capturing redoubt number 10, they look over at the other redoubt, number 9, and they realize that the French have not even started yet. And so, Hamilton sends a message over to them saying, what are you guys doing? Are you going to are you going to do this or not? Well, the French are still following the plan, which is that the sappers are trying to take out the the obstacles before they charge in. Uh-huh. The French realize, "Oh, the Americans have already done this. I guess we should just go. And so the French general actually sends back a message saying, well, we'll be there in five minutes. Don't worry about it. And, of course, they are. And so within the hour, these two forts that have literally held the British line are now in American hands. General Washington has been watching this on horseback a few hundred yards away. He is very pleased with what's going on. He realizes that with the fall of these two forts, this thing is just about over. And Cornwallis, who will soon learn of this disaster, at least for the British, is starting to realize that there's almost nothing I can do. He's still got a couple of things up his sleeve that he's going to try, but apparently God was watching over the Americans because... He's going to make sure that none of Cornwallis's ideas will come to pass. That's interesting. So we'll get into more details there. Um, we call this basically the end of the, the combat phase, Dave. Are there other areas up and down the coast where there was, there's still going to be combat going on? There will still be a lot of fighting in South Carolina and Southern North Carolina because th- this isn't the British troops. These are the loyalists fighting the patriots and so you will still have a lot of skirmishes between a a civil war inside the revolutionary war this is the first american civil war it really is 
and there will be a lot of deaths. In fact, Lieutenant Olney, who was injured and survived, will die in one of those fights. And there's still battles around the world between the French and the English. But for all practical purposes, this ends it. All right. Very good. We'll see where it all takes us in uh, a very interesting week in 1781. Yeah. Dave needs to go back to college for history. I don't think maybe if he's going to teach it, I think that's where it needs to go, Dave Bowman. Anyway, we've got one segment to go. We'll let you call in and throw your uh, questions and insights at Dave Bowman in our final segment of a Tuesday morning on Bill McLive. Glad you're along with us here on WMMB. and add your perspective to the conversation on Bill Mick Live. Yesterday's call of the day, Scott in Melbourne talking about that Republican House and what may be going on there later today. We'll see who today's call of the day was by the time the day is over. The West Cocoa Pharmacy making the hour possible. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History on these Tuesday mornings at 8 o'clock. So, Dave, the Americans and the French have pretty much won this thing. Where are we sitting? Cornwallis is just, he's desperate now. But he has an idea, Bill. And that idea is he's going to mimic something that Washington pulled off back in 1776 at the Battle of Long Island. Washington knew he was outnumbered. He knew he was trapped. But he managed to evacuate his army across the Hudson River under the cover of a fog which had nobody had predicted, nobody had expected, but suddenly just showed up. Divine intervention? Who knows? But the American army got away, and Cornwallis is going to try the same thing on the night of the 15th and 16th of October, but instead of fog, he gets a major nor'easter blow through, which Ooh. is overturning boats. It's, you know, people are like, I'm not going out there on that James River in this kind of way. Are you insane? So they... It fails. And at that point, Cornwallis realizes this is done. And so he sends commissioners out on the 17th. He sends out the white flag and the drummer. And nobody can actually hear the drummer because the artillery is going off so much. But they see the white flag. And Washington agrees to negotiate the surrender at Yorktown. He actually sends Benjamin Lincoln, the commander at Charleston, to head up the negotiations. One of the things that Cornwallis him earn his reputation back in, in, in so many ways. Yeah. But there's also something that he wants that Cornwallis isn't ready for. 
and that is that Cornwallis is expecting to be accorded the honors of war. Now, the honors of war, as I said earlier, marching out with his flags flying, keeping his arms, playing a really uh, exciting British tune, getting paroled, and Washington is having none of that. And his response to Cornwallis is, nope, you will not fly your flags, you will stack your arms, you will not play a British tune, you will not be guaranteed safe passage, you are, you are prisoners of war, your officers can be paroled, but everybody else is staying. And Cornwallis is like, wait, why are you doing this? And Washington's response is, Charleston. To which Cornwallis says, hey, I wasn't in charge at Charleston. I wouldn't have done that. And Washington's response, which should be known to every American, is simply this. We don't regard the person. We regard the nation. Your country did this. We're treating you the same way. Now, there is one postscript to this whole story of Redoubt 10 and the Battle of Yorktown that I think we have to cover, Bill. One of the things that Cornwallis has done during his rampage across Virginia is that he has told slaves, American slaves, that if you come with us and help us, we will guarantee your freedom. He has nearly 5,000 slaves that he has taken with him. They are all inside his little fort there at Yorktown. They are trapped at Yorktown, just like Cornwallis is. Once he realizes he's trapped, Cornwallis basically says, you guys go stand over there in the woods, which are being shelled mercilessly by the French and Americans. We'll stay undercover. The vast majority of the deaths on the British side at Yorktown are slaves that they have essentially encouraged to come with them and then abandoned. And there's a lot of them dead. Some of the descriptions of the deaths are just grisly. The other problem is that now that the war has ended, now that the battle has ended, Washington is in a bind. Remember that there were African-American troops from Rhode Island that essentially won this battle. And they're standing there watching what's going on. This whole fight is about liberty. It's about all men are created equal. So what does Washington do about the survivors of the slaves at Yorktown? It's, a, it's one of those moments, I call it watering the seed of the American Civil War. Washington doesn't feel like he can do anything else, and so he lets, he lets the slave catchers go into Yorktown and recover their property, quote-unquote. And by doing so, even Washington realizes that this is not the way we should have done this, But we, as he will write later, we lacked the public and private virtue to do what was right. And in so doing, even in our victory at Yorktown, we water the seed of the American Civil War, which will come soon enough. Wow. We're back in 60 seconds. This is Bill McLaughlin. 321-768-1240. Let's in here. We'll get back to those phones momentarily. Dave, let me ask you, were these slaves that Cornwallis had, did they volunteer to go and fight for the British, or were they taken and forced to do that? They were not forced. In fact, what Cornwallis does is he he lets it be known that you're slaves now to the Americans, but if you come with us, we will guarantee your freedom. And so there's, a, there's almost a 
temptation element to this in, in some ways. It's yeah. almost like a, come with us, we'll, we'll, we will set you free. But even he doesn't carry out that because he, he basically sets them out to be slaughtered. And, right, and the right. British and the French, the Americans and the French don't know this. They're just shelling the works. They don't know that it's full of slaves. They don't, at that point, they didn't, they didn't have any idea. They didn't know the slaves were a part of that opposing force? They weren't really part of the force. They were just there. Um, Cornwallis had basically promised them freedom. Using them to shuffle supplies back yeah. and forth to the troops or whatever? Do manual labor, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. But when the, when the end was coming, he put them out in the woods saying, you're on your own. I don't have time to deal with you. And, you know, I mean, think of the message to those troops from Rhode Island. If that focused Washington's attention any that, hey, these people chose to fight against our battle for freedom. I'm not giving them any freedom because of it. Trying to get in Washington's head a little bit. Well, even he recognized, like Thomas Jefferson, that they had the issue of slavery like a wolf being held by the ear. You can't let go of it and you can't you can't keep it. What are yeah. you supposed to do? And it it's tragic. I mean, remember that the Rhode Island troops, half of them were black. They're standing there watching this. We're fighting for the freedom of all men and liberty. And at we're the calling moment, some men property. Right. Yeah. And, and at the moment, we could have done some things. This is just one example in American history of we could have done things differently, but we didn't. We lacked, as, as Washington said, we lacked the public and indeed private virtue to do what we knew was right. We just couldn't have we just didn't have the strength to do it. Wow. That is something else. Let's go to Mario in Cape Canaveral. Mario, you're on with Dave Bowman. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, I, when I, what I'm hearing here for the last hour is, is something that I don't think I would hear in a, in a college course in history. Uh, very rare. The, I have the feeling uh, that had, had Dave Bowman, if you had gone through the standard educational process, I think you would have been uh, predisposed to think in a different way, in a different line with respect to history. And uh, people would not be hearing these very unique uh, ideas that you're bringing up in terms of your analysis of what, went, what, what has gone on or what went on. I'm so impressed with what I'm hearing. Mario, thank you. That's very kind. And Dave, I would tend to agree with him. Well, I appreciate that. But the only thing I would caution you is I'm not inventing the wheel here. This is all information that's out there. You just got to go find it. And that's I think that's the failure of our education system across the board is that when you're a tenured professor, there's no motivation to do fresh research, new work, those sorts of things, because I've Unless written my book. there's a grant out there that's going to pay you, right? Right. I've written my book. I've, I've said what I had to say. Why learn anything new? I, I I love books, as you know. My wife screams all the time because I have way too many books. Um, but but what I find is there are a lot of stories out there that we don't know about. The question is, why don't we know about them? Is it because we've chosen not to know about them, or is it because we've been We've had them hidden from us, and I'm not sure which way it is. I think there's a, I think there's an element of both. I think there's an element of education that says, you don't need to know that. I find this with my son in his history class right now, which is about the Revolutionary War. Uh-huh. There's things that they 
they just sort of skip over. And that drives me insane. But at the same time, how motivated are we to learn these things? How many of us want to know who these Rhode Island troops were? And yet there are dozens of books available about it. But do we read them? Yeah, chances are no. Not as we should anyway. Why is that? How does Ben take it when you hit him with a different angle than what he's being taught in school? Not that you're trying to confuse the child. I mean, you want him to be able to pass the class, but hey, this is more interesting. This is better than you think it is. He gets right? he gets so tired of me because I'm looking at the review questions for the tests, <laughs> and I will say to him, "Well, this question is wrong. the que- The question isn't worded correctly," and uh, he gets mad at me for that. So I, I worry <laughs> about his education, but. At the same time, since his since his mother's in charge of it, she's doing a much better job of this overall education than I could do. Yeah, very, very well. Um, so Yorktown happens. Give us uh, just a little brief snippet about what what comes after and, and uh, where we're going. From the American side, the Americans retreat. The, the army goes to, to Newburgh, Connecticut, where they're going to be kind of centrally positioned because if the British come back, They're going to come back in New York and in Canada. The French, because they're the French, go on to lose badly a naval battle that gives the British some hope. But even the British, the the British public is tired of this. They're they're absolutely frustrated and tired and expensive. And not only are they still having to pay for the French and Indian War, now they got to pay for this American Revolutionary War. They've had enough. But it's that it's that victory over the French Navy that gives the British that what Nixon would have called peace with honor. We can protect our other our other colonies and we don't have to worry about it. And so that's the impetus for the Treaty of Paris, which results in the British recognizing the independence of the United States. Now, the British have already decided they're going to do that. In 1782, they keep sending Washington messages saying, hey, we're pulling out. We're going to recognize your independence, but Washington doesn't trust them. And so it takes a while to convince them, to convince uh-huh. him that this is going to that this is going to happen. About 20 seconds, Dave. What are we looking at next week? Uh, one of my favorite moments in naval history, the Battle of Surigo Strait. Out of which conflict? World War II. All right. Very good. Dave Bowman, it's been a great day. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week.